Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah, good evening, Rod. I'm all right. And we've made it. This is episode 52. We, we've done it. A whole year of recording. Once a week. And I know we've both struggled to fit them in, but we've done it. It's pretty good going, actually. I've got to say, there was times there when, you know, you were off in business or I was in another country or there were other things going on that I thought we'd really struggle to get to one year. But 52 weeks of every week recording this podcast, I think that's a big pat on the back for us. Yeah, definitely. Because it's sometimes when you commit to something... It, you think, yeah, it'd be easy to find an hour and a half a week to do the recording. And I know you do all the editing on top and you probably gather more of the show notes than I do, to be fair. So it's a couple of hours a week and yet we've both managed to fit it in and commit to it for a year. So, oh yeah, I think well done. Good effort yeah. all round. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to any listeners who, who have stayed with us over some period of that. If you've come or you've gone or you've found us, you know, we've appreciated the few bits of feedback we, that we've had and we always appreciate more. And, you know, Chris always asks for more at the end of the show and it, it's great. To make it a little more interactive would be wonderful. But looking at our stats, we can see there are people out there listening to it. So stick with us. And if you have got things, please get in touch. Yeah, it's definitely going the right way, isn't it? The, number, the, the line is going up, so we'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for us, I think our professionalism, for want of a better word, has improved too. I think we sound better than we did at the start, other than my occasional bout of coughing, which I'm hopefully getting getting on top of these days. I think we're doing all right. No, I'd agree with that. We're, we're learning, aren't we, as we go? And you've got a clicky mouse. I've got a quiet voice. You know, there's all, all those things, aren't there, I think? And we're slowly learning as we go. We are. I'll try and remember to use my trackpad more than my clicky mouse. I've actually just moved my mouse across the desk to try and stop me using it. But I like a mouse more than trackpad. What can I say? I use an iPad. And if you use the mouse on it, it's all right. But the trackpad, you can do way more with it. So that's, that's why I'm there. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you know, trackpad on the left, mouse on the right. It works well for some things. Frankly, I just use a tra- trackpad for swiping through my de- various desktops as much as anything else and zooming in and out. That's why it's awesome on the Mac, on the, on the, Mac, on the iPad. Apologies. Fair enough. Shall we crack on then with the one-year anniversary show? Yeah, let's do it. And same format as always, so straight into follow-up. So I've got a couple of quick points. One, I've set the family Mac, as I discussed on previous shows, so my children can now click on their picture. They can type in the pin code, which I made the same as their iPads, just to make it easy for them. I've taught them how to log in, how to log out, how to check email, and how to browse the internet, because obviously they don't really know how to browse the internet. So it's quite interesting watching them try and use the mouse, and it's a, oh, what did Apple call the mouse? The Mighty Mouse or the Magic Mouse? Magic Mouse, isn't it? That's what we're going Magic for these days. And getting them to scroll, you know, and you can flick your finger on, on the top of it, and then showing them, well, actually then, if you then want to move the point around, you actually have to move the mouse on the table. It's just interesting because they're so used to a touch screen. But we got got that going, gotten used to you know typing in the search box. The websites my children wanted were largely Lego and Amazon. They were the, the two key ones. And my eldest son likes a bit of screw fix, so which is like a DIY shop here in the UK. So I got them both set up with that. I bookmarked them some sites, set them up with DuckDuckGo instead of Google. They're like, why is it not Google? I was like, we don't want Google, boys. We, we're going with DuckDuckGo. So I'm trying to start them off young. But it seems a good experiment. And like I say, it's a Mac. It's a desktop, so it's in the corner of the house. You can see it when you walk in the room, so hopefully it just gives them a little bit of freedom, but at least we can keep an eye on what they're up to rather than being screwed away on their iPads. So I'm curious to see how it goes, and I'm going to go through and add some more of the family into their address book so they can email or send messages to their grandparents and their uncles and things. I think, I think that'll be a nice step forwards before the inevitable iPhone lands later this year. Very good. Screwfix, really? What does he like to do in Screwfix? He loves it all. He just wants, he, he watches quite a bit on YouTube of people making stuff. And it could be somebody making like a water pump or, I don't know, storage things or modifying trains or whatever it might be. And he just likes looking at Screwfix to see all the parts he needs. It, yeah, he likes to make, I've got one son that likes to make, one son likes to game. So, you know, he is, he is in, we're all unique, aren't we? 
We are unique. No, that's uh, good on him. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a bit different. Fair enough. I'm glad it's going quite well. I think having it in the corner where it can be a bit overlooked is a good thing. I have occasionally tried to fix the odd teenager or family computer where there are older children in the house. And what you find on the contents of the hard drive can be able from time to time. So I think it's quite a good thing that you've set it up like that. Yeah, especially it's only nine and 11. And we knew if we set it for the 11 year old, the nine year old would want it. So we thought, well, actually, well, let's let both of them do it. And they can have their own profiles and just get used to using the keyboard and the mouse. And it was interesting because my son wanted to type a colon earlier. He's like, Dad, how do I type a colon? And it's like, well, you need to push the shift key and then and then push push that key. So he knew what he wanted, he just didn't know how to do it. And they, I said, P push enter when you log in. And they're like, what's the enter key? And so, or the return key. So I was just trying to get them used to the terminology because they're going to need this stuff in later life. So it'd be great when they go to secondary school that they at least know the basics and they can operate a computer. So, you know, we, I think over time I'll show them more and we, we start opening up. Maybe we do a bit more with email or what have you. So slowly, slowly catch the monkey. And I've set messages on there as well so you can send messages because they have that on their iPad. But I haven't given them email or Safari on their iPad. So the Mac will be, give them those two extra apps for now. Fair enough. Good stuff. Okay, good follow-up. The next bit is kind of for both of us, isn't it, on the HomeKit upgrade 16.2? Yeah, so I have upgraded everything in my house to 16.2, my TVs, my Air, my AirPods, my HomePods, apologies, and my iPads and phones and all my family members. And then I upgraded the Home to 16.2 to their new architecture. And then Apple pulled it after I upgraded it. We spoke about this before Christmas. And I said, well, it doesn't seem all that bad. Everything seems fine. And then I've tried to add a couple of devices in and I can't seem to add anything. So there is obviously a problem there. And it's cheesed me off a bit because I wanted, I've, got, I've got a button here, one of these Eve buttons. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. It's just a, a button and it takes one of those little cell batteries, probably similar to what you put in your AirTag. And I thought, great, I could just put that in my shed. And as I walk out the shed, I push the button and I close the blinds. And it doesn't work. I can't re-add it. It used to be in my home. I want to add it back in. It died a long time ago when the battery died. Put a new battery in it and I can't do anything with it. And the same, I bought um, a Wemo plug with matter in it. I thought I'd just try it out. It was going cheap on Amazon and I can't add it. So it's really frustrating. And I've just kind of given up with it and hope that 16.3 will come out and fix all my worries. And I'll probably have to upgrade my home again or something. So I had that. And then I think you're going to talk about it as well. Home pods. I just now with the children tried to play a song and it just came out of one home pod. I was like, why is it not coming out of the other home pod? I thought I'm not even going to try and fix it because I'll just end up in a rabbit hole. So it seems like the home upgrade to me hasn't actually done all that much, if I'm brutally honest. It does seem quicker when I turn the lights on and off, but now I can't add things and I can't play music everywhere. So I'm not sure if it's a win. This is the home version of Safari's quicker every year when the new version of macOS came out, isn't it? Yeah, I should have timed my lights on and off and repeatedly and then and then done it post-upgrade as well. Well, I got to say, I'm, I'm with you on this flakiness of this upgrade. I didn't get to do the major upgrade like you did, but there's something definitely wrong with the software. Ever since I upgraded my HomePods to 16.2, no matter what I can do, I can't get them. If I say, hey, Dingus, play music, it just won't do it. It says, this does not, you know, this does not exist in your Apple Music library. It's like it doesn't see iCloud Music anymore. So... I, I don't know what's going on there. I've removed them. I've unpaired them. I've rejoined them to my iCloud account. I think I've done all the things you can possibly do. Because let's face it, there's not a lot of troubleshooting you can do with them. It's just, they're lost. And I can airplay to them fine. I can set timers. I can do all that kind of stuff. But the second I ask it to play music, it just goes, hmm, thinking about it. Thinks about it for about 40 seconds and goes, I'm having trouble doing that. And that's it. That's all you get. So it's rubbish. Agreed. I had a bit of that. I was playing music earlier and I said, hey, you sit. Hey, Dingus, add something to my shopping list. I can't remember what it was, kitchen roll, I think. 
And it said, I'm not connecting to internet. I can't do that. And I was like, what do you mean you're not connected to internet? You're streaming music, but it didn't think it was connected to the internet. So yeah, they, they do seem in an odd state. And it's really frustrating for a device that doesn't do a huge amount. It's getting frustrating. And I think all we're trying to use them for are things that they've came with out of the box when they shipped with, I don't know, HomePod 14, was it or something? I can't remember what version they shipped with. Whatever it came with. I mean, i got to say, I'm quite glad I've got my various Sonos speakers around the house because they're actually working flawlessly. So it's it's not looking good for the HomePods at the moment. I got to say, if I was buying more speakers, I would not be going to buy HomePods. And are you using the big ones or the little ones? Little ones. Mm. See, my little ones in my shed, fantastic. The big ones in the house, a bit iffy. Yeah, I mean, they're out of support anyway, aren't they? So you're on, you're on borrowed time with them anyway. But the fact I've got the only version of the HomePod Mini they've ever sold and, and they're not working, that's not a great sign. And it's a current product in their lineup. Yep, I could go and buy. I could go and buy another one tomorrow for whatever they are, ninety nine pounds or whatever they are at the moment. But yeah, I'm not impressed. Mm, not good. All right, well, let's let's watch this space. Hopefully, sixteen point three will come and solve all our woes. Yeah, let's. If I just bought a set of these to play with my Apple Music account and it wasn't doing it, I think I'd be rather miffed. I'd be sending them back. Well, I'm miffed, and I haven't just bought them, and I've had them for a few years, but I'm miffed because uh, I've got six HomePods. Yeah, you're a big proponent of the HomePod. I know you actually sold them to me. I, in fact, I think you sold me AirPods as well at some point, so I, I kind of blame you for this. You made me buy a Mac, so it's your fault to begin with. Yeah, it's everything circular. It comes around again. Anyway, moving on. When you mentioned last week that you couldn't watch Taskmaster with the kids, I, it didn't occur to me until I was thinking about it a little bit later. There are two versions of Taskmaster on all four, including a bleeped version where they bleep out all the swear words. So you could actually stick Taskmaster on with the kids and you'd be fine. Oh, I might try that. That'll, that'll be some follow-up. I, I enjoy that one. I think the kids will quite enjoy it, some of the silly tasks that they have to do. I think so too. I mean, the, hopefully most of the other things they talk about will go over their head, but every time they F and they blind in it, that should be bleeped out. You should be good to go. All right, well, I think that's that's going to be worth a go. Definitely. Surely. Good. Right, final point for me, I had to task to go and install the Rode software on my iPad and upgrade my firmware. I installed the software on my iPad, I plugged in my Rode, Rode mic, and it didn't see it, and that was that. And the software looked very iffy on the iPad. It was clearly built for the iPhone. So I think to upgrade my firmware, I'm going to have to plug it into my Mac. That's a shame. I thought you'd found the promised land last week when you said you could see it. Uh, well, the app was there and it installed. It looked very big and clunky. And then it just said it couldn't find my, my mic, which was a bit frustrating. So I, I knocked it on the head. You've got to wonder, people that buy these kinds of microphones and all microphones, how many of them use the software that comes with the mic? Other than to upgrade the firmware, I bet it's almost no one. Agreed. Who even upgrades their firmware half the time? Most people just plug it in and forget about it. Yeah, it's, it, for upgrading firmware is a really weird thing. Like cameras are a perfect example of this. My ancient Nikon DSLR that's kicking about in a cupboard somewhere. Upgrading the firmware on there was an odyssey. You know, you had to go and find an SD card. You had to download it to it. Finding it on the Nikon website was a complete disaster. Actually doing it, the camera didn't really want to do it half the time. It took several goes. And I bought another Canon camera for work. For we're going to record little interviews and things like that when we're at conferences. And the experience hasn't got any better. There's no automated firmware upgrade on cameras for it to go off and look at it. You've still got to go to the Canon website, pick the operating system you're with, download it to the SD card, make sure it's a formatted SD card, run through the firmware upgrade thing. It's all a bit iffy. Why do they make it so difficult? Agreed. And you also have to upgrade firmware on your lenses. I've had one to do recently. And again, why isn't it just like an app? Like, here's my camera and all, all the things I've got. Push a button. Get me all the firmware, please. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like something hasn't really moved on there. Yeah, and you think a camera can be anything from 200 to several 
tens of thousands of pounds in some cases, and lenses certainly can be. So to put an owner in the position where they may completely banjax their camera or their lens for that value of money, that's pretty unacceptable. Yeah, it's just bad though, isn't it? It's A, clunky to do it, and B, yeah, you could damage your gear while you're doing it. I just, yeah, I don't know why it's so complicated. It feels like it's like with a banking institution, it's it's the bit of Fortran running in the back corner that they still haven't sorted out. And it's the same with the firmware. When I do it on my more recent Nikon, it's probably no different than on your DSLR. Yeah, not good enough, really. But there we are. We are where we are. It sometimes makes maybe the home, well, you think the, the trouble it gets into automated, almost automated on home pods and things like that. Maybe that's why they make it so difficult. Yeah, no, it's bonkers, isn't it? And I'm sorry, I was just firing up the next link. So in, into news and rumours, I put in a link here, again, just following up on something we talked about a few shows ago was the Google Stadia, you know, going end of life and the controller is now being useless. Apparently they're adding one last game to the App Store and it's a tool to enable Bluetooth on the Stadia, on the Stadia controllers this week coming. So at least that's your controller will be useful. So I think they've done the right thing there, to be fair to Google. They've actually shown, I think this is like the Tylenol recall that they did back in America in like the 70s or something where they, Tylenol had an issue where they had some batches of, of their medicine was contaminated and they just recalled everything, everything with the name Tylenol on it. And apparently they they, they called it all back and then obviously they dealt with it. They manufactured the, the, the new medications, got them back out on the shelves and actually improved their brand loyalty because they dealt with it in such a good way. And I think to be fair to Google, They've dealt with stadiums closing down really well in that they've try, tried to mothball it in the best way possible. So it's quite interesting. They're refunding everybody. They're upgrading the controllers just before they go end of life. It's pretty good. No, I agree. It is good. And we said at the time, it's what they should do. So you're not creating e-waste and things like that that they should do. You've made me think the canonical story in business school of recalling a product or not recalling a product is the Ford Pinto. Do you know this one? No. So in America, Ford made a car called the Pinto, where the fuel tank was in the back. So if you got rear-ended, the chances are you'd blow the car up. And they they actually knew this was going to be a problem by the time they did it. And they did a calculation to see, would it be more expensive to recall it and fix it, or just put it out there and pay the lawsuits for what was coming on? And they decided it would be cheaper to pay the lawsuits. And then they got discovered and found out and didn't recall the In the end, they had to. They had to stop it. But that's that's the canonical story of product recalls. That's bad. That's how not to do it, isn't it? To show that you had a spreadsheet calculation, working out the pros and cons of doing the recall, and you'd rather endanger somebody's life. Yeah, I'll I'll put the link for the Wikipedia link in the show notes for the Ford Pinto. But yeah, it's quite a story. It's worth it's worth a bit of a read actually. Car recalls do seem to be back in vogue though, now, don't they? Because you and I, I think, spoke in the week about Tesla and BMW now doing a recall as well. Thankfully, mine's not on the list, but it does seem to be a thing that's come back into fashion. Yeah, it, it well. They probably always happened. I mean, I've had little bits and pieces on my van and other vehicles before that, but the sort of the widespread affecting tens of thousands of vehicles thing certainly seemed in the public eye a lot. And my suspicion is for the reason we've talked about before, it's software. They don't validate the software because they think they can just upgrade it at a later point or they don't realize the problems it's had. So it's it's not the fuel tank in the boot anymore. It's the fact that some developer left something out or that didn't account for some variable somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? Right, next one up, Tim. Tim Apple is taking a pay cut. So cool. Apple's doing pretty well, we think. But yeah, their CEO is going to take forty percent less compensation this year than he did last year. Yeah, he still made a hundred million dollars last year, though. Yeah, I'm not surprised by it. I work for a big corporate in the UK, so I, I kind of see some of the, the not quite those eye-watering salaries, but big salaries, and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they're the world's you know biggest brand 
are they still the biggest company? They were, they weren't. They, they keep flip-flopping, don't they? So I'm not surprised by the amount of money involved. Obviously, Apple's got all the money. But it's interesting because obviously here in the UK, there's talk of recessions, there's talk of not being in a recession, the stock market's up and down. And I wonder if they're going to see a bad year coming and therefore they're just dealing with it early. And it's interesting, this news has come out this week, a couple of weeks ahead of them doing their quarterly update, which which they do obviously every quarter, you know, they have their phone call where they talk through all the results and obviously all the analysts are on there. So it's just interesting, the timing of it. it feels like they're getting ahead of it so that they're just setting the tone. I guess we're going to have the results are going to be down. They warned that the, the earnings wouldn't be as high this quarter because of issues with iPhone production in China. So I just thought it was interesting. But it's quite a drop. It's not like he's taking 10%. It's a 40% reduction in pay annually. And I mean, he's probably at the point in life where he doesn't really need the money anymore. No, definitely. I mean, he can. He, his share options alone probably earn him in this kind of region anyway. If he didn't take direct pay as a, you know, as, as incentives for being the chief executive officer, I do find his statement quite interesting. If you read the whole article that's on Nine to Five Mac, sorry, Mac Rumors. Today we have the strongest lineup of products and services we've ever had, and our technology has never shown our users in more ways. And our latest innovations are helping so many of us harness our creativity, connect with loved ones, find entertainment and joy, and live safer and healthier lives. I mean, that really means nothing, does it? You know. It's the biggest lineup of products they might have ever had. As we've said a few times, they're not keen to cut the fat out of the line anymore. They're obviously struggling slightly considering the story we had. Was it last week we talked about the iPhone 14, you know, not performing to expectations and potentially having price cuts in front of it and chopping and changing from the mini to the max and all the rest of it. I, I The writing may be on the wall in some way, shape, or form, but I think you're right. The, the thrust of this is... Things aren't going to look good at the next shareholders meeting because of all the sort of global uncertainties and cost of living crises and manufacturing problems and supply supply line issues. So, yeah, interesting. Maybe they're also struggling with the dollar being so high as well that sales abroad, and um, we've been impacted by this. You know, iPhones are more expensive here this year than they were last year, even though they've stayed the same in the in the US. Maybe that's also impacted it. And maybe they know that they're going to have supply constraint issues this year and they're, they're not going to be releasing the devices they want. I think we all thought we'd have a Mac Pro by now. We all thought we might have new MacBook Pros as well, but I think they're struggling to get things out the door. So I wonder whether actually we're seeing the longer tail of the pandemic now starting to, to kick in and bite. Quite possibly. I mean, well, it's interesting. I mean, we'll cover the March shareholders meeting, obviously, when it when it takes place. And, you know, the last few of these we've done, we, 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 they do two a year, I think, don't they? They do a spring and a summer one. A spring I thought it was quarterly. Is it quarterly? Right, so we, we have yeah, done them before. Quarterly. So we've done four before, is, is what I'm saying. And typically, I seem to remember going, this is better, this is better, this is better. This doesn't look quite as good. It was the iPad, I think, in the last quarter that didn't look quite so good. So, yeah, let's see how, how things have changed since we started doing this. Yeah, no, it might be good to do a year-on-year reflection, maybe. Like, Definitely. You know, how, how do they stand this February compared to last? Definitely. Okay, good stuff. Speaking of things they have managed to do, 95 Mac reporting that Apple Music and Apple TV apps for Windows 11 are now rolling out as beta on the Microsoft Store. So if you're a Windows user, you can fire up your Windows Store and you can download some beta versions of Apple Music and Apple TV. I mean, this is fascinating to me in one sense, that the last version of iTunes was the one that existed on Windows. I'm just amazed it's still going. How with all their might, have they not dealt with this earlier than now? It just seems bonkers to me that Apple Music, that they've been pushing so hard, and obviously they've been getting on more devices, you know, you can play on your PlayStation, on your Xbox, on your Tesla, hopefully. How's it on Windows? It just seems massive that they've missed that whole piece. 
Yeah, I mean, you could use it in iTunes, couldn't you? You could click on the thing in the top left and use it in the way iTunes used to be on the Mac. And I think quite a lot of people, there's Linux people, for example, like Apple Music as well, because you can get it on the Android store too. So there are a couple of apps like Cider is the name of one, which will wrap the Apple Music website up in in an app so you can actually sort of play it directly in that way. So there are ways around it. So you shouldn't have to get around it, should you? you should, there should just be an official application from the company that do it. And it's now, at least it's beginning to be shown. You can get it on the, on the Microsoft App Store and off you go. But how many new people to Apple Music do you have to explain? No, no, you need the iTunes app. And they're like, what's iTunes? I've never heard of it. And I don't know, it just, just seemed a, a load of legacy craft that they just didn't really deal with. But the app looks nice. It looks very Windowsy, And it's the same with Apple TV. I can't believe they launched a streaming service and didn't get an app out on Windows. So I guess the only way you could watch on Windows was through a web browser. But equally, I have no idea how many people actually use, like, is there a Netflix app for Windows or is it all web-based? I I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure there are all the app stores that you'd expect to see on Windows, sort of streaming media stores you'd expect to see are there on Windows. I mean, it's more of the fact that your Windows user who buys an iPhone, of which there are probably many, and gets their three months Apple TV Plus or whatever it is, has no way to watch it on the, that device. And part of me wonders how many people do consume their media like that, or do they sit in front of their TV, or do they stick it on their Amazon Prime box? You can watch it in the web browser. There, yeah. there is an Apple TV Plus website, but it's not very easy to get to. And, no, yeah. and, and these things are generally quite suboptimal, aren't they? What you want is a native app for your device, in the same way that if you had a Roku box, you'd want the you know Apple TV Plus thing on there. You wouldn't work at, That wouldn't be working in a web browser. I guess if you're a business who's your, your way and you, you want to catch up on Ted Lasso, this, it's another option for you to watch it on, on, on the Windows without having a... Because web browser apps typically don't let you download things for, for, for later either. So maybe that's a feature of it. Yeah, I'm just amazed that it's taken them so long to do both apps. And I do wonder whether the third app is the thing that's held them back, is you can now get an Apple Devices app to do the things that iTunes did if you you know you plug your iPad in and so on. So I wonder whether actually that was probably the harder bit that they had to deal with of what do they do with that? Because obviously on the on the Mac you do it in Finder now. And so I wonder whether so much was in iTunes, it's it's just taken them a while to get there. But I'm amazed, yeah, A, it's taking so long. And then B I saw you put in the show notes, they've actually mentioned in the Apple Devices app that Reality OS is a thing, which is what's rumoured to be running on on our headset if, if Apple were to release one. There's a lot of smoke around the headset, so it's going to be quite an interesting year, I think. Yeah, there is. It, it's funny, I was walking on the beach earlier and I thought there is one killer application for an augmented reality headset or glasses that it, it's in the realms of science fiction, but it's the only thing I could think of that I'd actually want. And that's when you meet somebody on the beach and you, it puts an arrow over their head and goes, this is Bob. Bob is married to Barbara. He has two kids, Mike and Joe. That's what I would need one of these things for because I can't remember half the people. That would be the killer application for me. And, and you know Bob because his daughter goes to your daughter's school or something, something yeah. like how you know them piece. Now, I, I I can get behind that. I'm really struggling with it because I think I talked in the last show, I obviously pre-ordered the Sony PlayStation PS VR 2, but I'm really conflicted about whether I want to keep it. I've ordered it just to, as a lock-in, but I'm worried that it's going to silo me playing games with the children and then will I feel motion sickness? And so I'm a bit mixed on what Apple's going to release because the recent report said there might not even be any games coming with it. So what am I going to use it for? For doing Zoom with you once a week? Or? Well, it's $3,000. It's unobtainable. That's the critical thing. It's $3,000 is the rumored price. Now, I also saw that might just be the bill of materials for building it rather than what the bottom line will be when people come and buy it. There is no way even the average Apple user is dropping three grand on an AR headset without, you know, for only doing Zoom with people 
we can zoom perfectly well now. I don't feel that I need the, you know a headset, and I wouldn't have thought many businesses could be sold on that either. And no, not in the current climate, especially. And maybe this is why Tim's taking a pay cut so that he can personally put some money towards subsidising the cost of every headset they ship. Well, honestly, if it comes in at less than a thousand, I think everybody would be pleasantly surprised if that was the price of it because it's an Apple device. Around it, they did surprise us with the iPad when it came out. It was half the price I think we we're all expecting it to be. We we're all thinking it was going to be you know twelve hundred, thirteen hundred quid something like that, and it came in at four nine nine, five nine nine. Yeah, it was going to be nine nine nine, and it came in at four nine nine. So they can do it. Yeah. I do wonder whether the dollar and the climate are against them. Though. Equally, though, is it going to be a device they want the mass market to buy, or is it going to be a developing niche product to begin in while they create the market? Tim has been, you know, he's not known for the big device in the way that Steve had the Mac and the iPhone and all the rest of it. I think Tim released the watch. But I don't think the watch is a breakaway success in the same way that it's not in the public's mind in the same way that an iPhone is or, you know, the original Mac was. I think Tim wants that. I think the watch is gathering traction. though. It's slowly just iterated year on year on year. And I see more and more people wear them, more and more couples with them. on. I'm not disputing it's a successful product, but I don't think at launch it gathered the public demand in the same way that the Mac or the, the iPhone did or the iPod. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it was mixed at launch. It didn't really have a dedicated purpose. And it took a few years to go, oh, this is for some notifications and some health. It's not for replacing my iPhone. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, we could, we'll probably continue that when it actually releases. So next story, and this is something we visited on before about and sticking in the AR world. The US Army buying Army buying HoloLenses from Microsoft for use within battlefields and R&D and things like that. And the Army has now blocked a $400 million deal. So... It makes give soldiers nausea and headaches. So, yeah, they're stopping that order. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, a couple of things on here for me is one, obviously, Microsoft have got in bed with, I think it was Meta, wasn't it? And so whether actually Microsoft are going to be abandoning HoloLens, I don't know. Two, the nausea thing is obviously something I'm concerned about, whether I want even one just myself to play games on. So I'm not surprised by that, but it's a lot of money they were going to commit to this. That's a yep. huge amount of money. Well, they were going to commit $22 billion over 10 years was the the absolute amount they were going to do. So if they're already cutting it back at the $400 million stage, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge amount of money. And, well, what you're going to drop on your, your Sony PSVR 2 is nowhere in that region, and I'm sure Sony aren't expecting to make that much money from consumers at this point. I have seen one demo of your Sony PSVR 2. There was some at CES. I watched Linus Tech Tips channel, their sort of first experience of it. And the sort of over the takeaway was it's considerably better than the first version, the one I talked about I think on the last show. The gasket around your eyes is an awful lot better. There's less light bleed. It's a lot more responsive. It's got 120 hertz 4K OLED screens in it. So I think you're going to have a better experience with using it. And obviously this the Hololens has been around a while now, and the soldiers have been trying it. And you know, soldiers with head nausea and headaches is probably not what you want in a fighting force. Not good, is it? Not good. I'm still mixed on whether I want it or not, and it. It, it grieves me a little bit in that an accessory for my PlayStation is £200 more than the original PlayStation. So yeah. That, that's why I'm mixed on it, I think. No, I think that's fair enough. Okay, just an interesting one to visit back on, really, that we reported that it was a thing that was happening, but now it's not. Moving on, and this was just for people's interest as much as anything else. If you have got any interest in the old days of Apple, you know, back to the SE and the original Mac and all the rest of it, there's a site called vintageapple.org which has a bunch of original Byte magazines and Mac user magazines and things like that from the early 1980s onwards. So 
all in PDF format. If you want to learn like, like when killer graphics came along or to interface video cassettes with your computers from the early days or build an Altair or something like that. All these things are in there from sort of 1975 onwards, really. So might well be worth a look if you're interested in some nostalgia. There's 67,000 pages of, of magazine in there if somebody fancied taking a look around. So I just thought it was an interesting little website. Wow. And are these all scanned in? Yeah, every last one. That's hard to get those. I can see, I've seen one come up now. That's hard to get good scans nicely lined up. So fair play to whoever's done that. That's a labor of love, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is. And I, I love things like this. There was a computer games magazine I talked to at the start of the podcast when my sort of introduction to proper computers was a Commodore 64. And I discovered the games magazine that I used to read then called Zap 64 has been treated in the same way. And I love things like this. It's it's really, truly keeping a historical record of something that would just go away. Because the early days of these magazines, there weren't desktop publishing. There weren't PDFs generated of these things because they were all typed or, or put together in some way, shape, or form that didn't you know, didn't create an archive in this way. Other than what was in the journal's machines, they went to print and that was that. So I love stuff like this. You know, it is cool. And it is an era of Mac I don't know much about. Look through. Yeah, have a, have a bit of a browse to sort of get a feel for the old days. And it's before my time as well, I hasten to add. I didn't become a Mac user until just Mac OS 7.5 was the first Mac operating system I used. So, But I think it's worth a look. The archive is really impressive. Like I say, starting in 1975 and going forward, it's it's quite a thing. Yeah, no, it's cool. Next up, I see uh, we've got some touchscreen Macs potentially on the route. Yeah, not to get too excited about this, but so this is a rumor from Mark Gurman that in 2025, the shift to OLED for MacBook Pros could add touchscreens to Apple products. And this is really interesting to me. I mean, it's funny, just last week we were talking about people prodding your, your studio display or prodding your Mac and how it, it's likely used in Windows and all the rest of it. Steve was famously very against having touchscreens on computers. He felt that the iPad was what you wanted for that. You want to be able to prod it with your finger, not with a stylus. They've already gone back on styluses and we've got Apple Pencils now. So this seems like a fairly natural evolution to me. I'm surprised it's taking them so long. Agreed, and obviously we've now got you know, mouse pointer support on your iPad. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think they're blowing the lines on all their products at the moment. And I think maybe they thought the iPad was the future of the Mac and it would get all the cruft, but they never iterated, I don't think, on the iPad quick enough for it to catch up with the Mac. And there's still a long way to go. So Mac's not going anywhere. I've, yeah, I'm amazed they haven't done this before. And even when I had a PC with a touchscreen, it was just super convenient when it's a laptop. Oh, look, I could just, you know, flick the page and, and scroll it and, you know, tap something on the screen. So... Yeah, I'm amazed they haven't done it yet, if I'm brutally honest. So wouldn't surprise me. And they are blurring, I think, the lines between phones, iPads, and Macs all the time as they as they reach a point where they run the same apps, doing the same things. Yeah, I think part of this is the failure of the touch bar as well. The, the, the interface they vaguely thought they might go in the way of, of putting more touch-sensitive controls on the keyboard of the device was firmly rejected by the community. It didn't help that that laptop was fundamentally flawed, the keyboard anyway. But you're right, I think, there is an inclination to reach up and touch the screen and iPads and, and touchscreen devices are blurring that. We've become used to our phones. It feels very natural to reach up and interact with your content using your hands these days. Those of us in the old school who do sell use trackpads and mice, even if they are clicky, you know, it would help from time to time to reach up and flick something on the screen. So I don't see any harm in this. The way that macOS particularly, and it's continued in Ventura, has started to spread out the various controls and things like that. There is a bit more space to get a fat finger in between close or minimize or maximize or actually tap on a hyperlink or something, even on a Mac display. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, menu bars have just gotten taller and all of those things. I wonder if they're slowly just walking towards this world of spacing everything out a little bit because it's not something you can do overnight. It does take time. I wouldn't be surprised. 
No, I, I think it's a positive thing. And we talked last week about how interesting it was, that Lenovo device that you could fold in any way which any which way you liked. So this seems sensible to me that, you know, Macs that may come in new, t- new form factors soon, foldable iPads, foldable Macs, whatever else comes, you know, they need to be in the right place with all their operating systems to be able to cope with this kind of stuff. And Mac OS belongs in that mix. Yeah, I thought recently there was a rumor of an iPad running macOS or vice versa, and that was going to come out this year. And it's it's gone around the houses a few times. So who knows where it'll go? But it feels like a no-brainer they should do this. Yeah, and we talked about wouldn't it be great if you could buy an M1, M2, M3 iPad and similar Mac and just choose which version of the software you want to run? I want this to be an iPad, or I want this to be a Mac, and I can choose a boot which one I want it to be. Boot. That's why I'd like. Absolutely, and why not virtualize one inside of the other as well? You know, if I just need the iPad at this point, fire up an image and off you go. Oh, I would love it. I'd be there because then I could just have one device. I wouldn't need the Mac in the house. I could, you know, mess around on the Mac for a little bit and then have the iPad piece for work. That's yeah. what I really need. Yeah, that's that's the answer to all of our problems, isn't it? Apple might sell the odd less device, perhaps, or maybe they'd sell more. I don't know. I'm sure they'd charge you handsomely for the privilege of running two OSs. Oh, for sure. Moving on. A story that caught my eye in Ars Technica. It's a few day, a few weeks ago now. This was in the 5th of January. Meta has had a $414 million fine because it tried to avoid seeking user consent for personalized ads. It thought the fact they were on the service anyway meant they didn't need to ask them for consent to have those ads personalized towards them. So this was the EU finding them. $414 million, which given all their layoffs and all the problems Facebook's reported, sorry, Meta has reported recently, it's not an inconsiderable amount of money. That's a huge amount of money. And the, yeah, layoffs and this and all the issues they seem to be having shipping the Metaverse and banking on the Metaverse. Yeah, it makes you wonder what's going on at the top. But this is a violation of GDPR, specifically within Ireland, is, is what they've done this, is, and within the EU. It's the e, that's that's pushed forward with this. So it's just avoid requesting user consent thought they could inflict the ads on people bang 414 million dollar fine fantastic not surprised by this you no i i am quite encouraged when i see these big gdpr fines though because for a long time you know you and i in our professional lives need to deal with the gdpr it's just it's a consequence of what we do even though britain has left the eu it's still very much part of what we do i talk about the gdpr at least once a day i think and we weren't seeing these big fines via the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK or hearing very much about them. So it felt a bit toothless to me. And when there were big companies like Meta and Google and others clearly abusing their position in GDPR and you weren't seeing the consequences of it, I think it's kind of right and proper that you do occasionally see a big story like this where somebody has abused their position to such a degree and the, and the GDPR does have teeth. Agreed. And surely it can't be a surprise to anybody that meta of all companies have been fined because they're not famed on you know user privacy and you know asking for confirmation before they do something so it's not a shock at all yep so hopefully it means they'll sort themselves out and they'll at least seek consent before uh, doing things to people so an interesting story. our next couple of stories are our gift that keeps on giving twitter and this i just thought was an interesting article in bloomberg from this week where elon has managed to drive some of the twitter founders to mastodon did you see this story no, I didn't. I've, I'll be honest. I was going to say to you earlier, I haven't heard anything about Twitter this week. It's been lovely and quiet. I've not really used it. I've not heard much about it. So I hadn't seen this one. But you know what? I've guessed the original Twitter founders will want to distance themselves. And what better way of doing it than this? Yeah, so this is the Twitter co-founders, Ev Williams and Biz Stone, have both created accounts on Mastodon. If that's not a, a vote of a voting with your feet, I really don't know what is. Yeah, it's a surprise to no one, isn't it? 
it just shows the state the platform's going to. So I thought, A, that was interesting. And the second story this week has been third-party apps getting banned by Twitter. So this started on Friday night, I think it was, when it began, that some of the bigger third-party apps, TweetDeck, TweetBot, and others, could no longer refresh their, their feeds. And Twitter have still released nothing to say that they've actually been explicitly banned. There's a story on 9to5Google this morning, in fact, that actually discovered internally on the internal Slack that these third-party apps have been banned and they're, just, they're still working on the communication how to do it. What a terrible company to actually ban somebody's use of your API and not bother informing them. Well, the users, though, surely the users who may not know any better of the app don't know that the app's been banned and therefore just think Twitch is broken. So it makes you wonder who's at the steering wheel of all this because it's a mess, isn't it? Well, it really is. And I was reading some of Paul Haddad's toots on Mastodon, who obviously makes TweetDeck, and he was saying, this is unacceptable. My users all pay, most of them pay an annual subscription for use of the service, for use of the API. Most of them are due within the next few weeks because obviously when you released the version for this API, that's when they bought the upgrade and most of them pay the rolling year. He's now in a position where he doesn't know if this is intentional or not. It looks like it's intentional based particularly on the leaking of this information. It would be unethical of him to charge his users his annual subscription. So what does he do with the development of the app? It just absolutely leaves them hanging. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? They need to ship the Ivory app and just walk away, don't they? That's what they've, they've got to do. Well, that, yeah, that's what he said he's going to do, but I, he doesn't have the same number of users on Mastodon yet that they've got on Twitter. And all right, the third-party Twitter clients, I suspect most people make use of the first-party Twitter client. So, And that's in tw- Twitter's interest because third-party ones, you don't get ads in, you don't get other bits and pieces in. But nevertheless, if you make an API for something and you're happy to let people use it, and the suspicion is because some of the third-party apps are still working, it's only for those that have more than 100,000 users that they've actually cut off. But so that's a lot of... Surely, surely they're the ones you want right now, though. You want the users, the eyeballs, to drive your ad revenue. I would have thought people who do use a third-party application to, to use Twitter are fairly engaged Twitter users. They're not people who are just dipping in and out. They're, they're posting a lot of things. They've got comments. They're liking. They're boosting. They're probably your Twitter Blue subscribers, frankly. So this is just the most baffling decision. I think for me, though, the thing is, why don't third-party Twitter ad clients show adverts? They should have made that mandatory. Well, It seems a bizarre thing that it's not in the API. Well, that's down to Twitter for saying you didn't need to do it. I mean, I would have thought they pay more not to see the ads in that case. You know, make the people who use the API, if they're not going to be able to see the ads, make that API 10, 20, 30, 40% more expensive or something like that and charge those users. And then... The, the people who make the clients would have built that cost into what they were charging the users to do it. You know, so they didn't get their ads and then they could surface that back out. Whereas this is, nope, just cut off the ones that are popular and make them use this well. It looks like, I mean, who knows, maybe they'll post something tomorrow going, oops, sorry, because they've done that before. Elon's done that before. But this is just an appalling abuse of your committed developers and some of your most committed users. I guess though, what you could have is, oh yeah, it didn't work for the weekend. And so people have gone back to using the official client and then they stay using the official client and therefore Twitter will gain eyeballs that way. Maybe maybe that's why they've done it. It's a very strange way of doing business though, isn't it? Agreed. It's horrible. The whole thing is not right. Yeah, it just doesn't sit well with me. Anyway, I thought that was a fairly interesting little story. Moving on, we've got quite a, you can tell we're, we're coming out of the Christmas break now. We've got a few more stories this week. Two stories about Apple and its abuse of privacy this time. So the first one from January the 9th is from 9to5Mac. 
Apple accused of systematic violations of user privacy in a new class action lawsuit. So class action means there's a number of people, normally in California, it must be said, but certainly within America, I think in this case is actually Pennsylvania, who have filed a class action lawsuit against Apple for violations in user policy. And this is the, what we talked about before, actually, when you're it's collecting analytics without agreeing to it. So even if you decline consent, Apple were still collecting analytics, and that has triggered this a class action lawsuit. We spoke to, about this a few weeks ago, didn't we, before Christmas thing, because I think you said when your daughter was setting up her phone, she goes, Dad, which one do I tap, share analytics or not? And you, and you basically said, it doesn't matter because they both do the same. It is bad. I'm not surprised about this, especially from Apple, though. You know, they should be holier than thou or have them on high ground, whiter than white, whatever you want it, whatever saying you want to put in there, because they keep banging on about how secure they are. They've got that lovely Apple logo with the lock icon on it which is and it's been fantastic marketing we've all gone for it and we all encourage others for the same reasons and yet here they are doing what meta would have done yeah so this is a class action one this is from users led by lawyers and then hand in hand with this is that there's a french data watchdog the cnil shall i mangle my french the commission nationale d'informatique et de liberté cnil launched an investigation into apple but filed by france digital for exactly the same use that's awful I just it really annoys me because like i say i encourage people to use an apple device for the right reasons and this just it's not good it doesn't sit well with me yeah and and six million is nothing to apple i mean tim could pay that without break breaking a sweat even on his this year's reduced salary never mind what apple have yeah i'm sure tim would be all right to foot the bill but this is just france next will be the eu proper and then you're into the 411 million and, and beyond that we just talked about with meta no matter what this again is just a terrible look the company needs to sort this stuff out quickly and say when they've done so it's not enough just to do this shady in a backroom way that you know oh we fixed that we paid the fine it went away they need to be explicit about what they're collecting why they were collecting it when they stopped collecting what does it all mean for us as users given the guarantees that you've just spoken about yeah they need to come out really and go look there was a bug we've deleted all the data we've made sure it now works correctly we deal with the fines done and just draw a line under it and move on yeah. Not a great week for Apple, not a great week for Meta, really, and certainly not a great week for Twitter. <laughs> not a great start to the year, is it, really? Not a great start to the year, but we were probably talking about very similar stories last year, frankly, so that's us. Anyway, I think that'll do us for news, unless we missed something. No, I think that's it. We've had quite a lot this week. Should we move on to media? Yep. And I was just going to touch on, I actually watched Knives Out the other day and thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd heard a lot of good things about it. I think you had spurred me to watch it because you'd watched Glass Onion recently with your family. And I thought, you know what, I will go and watch Knives Out. Yeah, really liked it. I thought the cast, great. An ensemble cast, fantastic. Really good. And I'm actually going to fire up Glass Onion, which I think is Netflix, if I got that correct. Yeah, I've got Netflix, so I haven't used Netflix in months. So I'm going to fire it up and go and watch Glass Onion. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. When you put this in the show notes, I wasn't sure if you meant if you meant Glass Onion or Knives Out. So Glass Onion is billed as Glass Onion, a Knives Out story. And you're right, I watched it just a couple of days ago, actually, talking I was going to do it. And it's fantastic. I mean, I don't think it's quite as good as Knives Out. I really enjoyed the story in Knives Out. I thought the casting was superb in both of them. Knives Out particularly. It was the first time I'd seen Anna Daramas in anything, who's since gone on to be a bit of a superstar. We saw her in a Bond film, obviously. She was in the last Bond film, Anna Daramas, who plays the, well, the, she's she's the nurse, I think, in Knives Out. Yep. Yep. And then is, just happens to be in a bar and is a CIA agent that, help, that helps Bond in No Time to Die. And that, I didn't know that. Didn't you? There you go. I didn't know that. And I've, I've just watched Knives Out and I've obviously seen No Time to Die. 
Yeah. yeah, she was in No Time to Die as well. You, you are quite correct. Yeah, so she's she was a bit of a find in that, and I think the casting in Glass Onion is equally good. And he's this time Daniel Craig's with another Bond alumni. He's with uh, Dave Bautista, who was the henchman from Spectre as well, if you remember that far back. And the casting in that is excellent. It's great to see Ed Norton and others. The thing that, and I've said this a few times now, the thing that really comes over to me about Glass Onion and Knives Out is how much Daniel Craig seems to be enjoying himself compared to Bond. He's just, the joy is coming off the screen from him. I think he's just delighted to be away from it. Yeah, I'm a big Daniel Craig fan, actually. I've enjoyed him in a number of films. So I, I meant to watch it ages ago. I bought it, I think, on iTunes. Donkeys just go for like five quid. Just haven't got around to seeing it. But no, I thought it was really good. The acting was great. Cinematography, fantastic. It was all just really well put together and quite well paced, I thought. It was never really dragging. I th- I, yeah, I enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm going to go and watch Glass Onion. So I'll report back once, once I've done that. I have to keep remembering to fire up Netflix though. Yeah, it's and I think Knives Out is also on Netflix too. And Netflix has commissioned another one. So there's going to be one more Knives Out film in that series. So that's good to do. You know, I, I, they're very watchable. I'll keep going. I actually quite like a murder mystery. The family quite like a murder mystery. We watched Death on the Nile on Disney+. Plus. I can't remember if I talked about that on the podcast, but we watched that over Christmas too. And that had some problematic things with some of the casting army hammer who was in that had a a whole bunch of stuff came out about him after the filming of that not a nice character at all it seems allegedly but also a really good film thoroughly enjoyed that too but i think glass onion was certainly better than death on the nile and you know more of that please yeah i used to quite like army hammer i thought he was very good in the social network i know you said the facebook movie but the social network i thought it was fantastic in that and then yeah obviously all the news came out about him not being a nice person and that's really annoyed me because i think it was a great film where every time i watch it now i'm cheesed off that he's in it fair enough it's amazing how an actor can sour you on something but we've said a few times on this you shouldn't let it one actor shouldn't spoil the the art so to speak so no glass onion very good worth a watch Agreed. And whilst we're talking about ensemble casts, I've also gone back and rewatched Succession Series 1. I don't think you've ever seen Succession. You should. There's a fellow Scott in it. You know, it's worth watching just for him. He's fantastic. It is fantastic. It's so good. So I went back and rewatched it. Some of it's very cringeworthy. Definitely not one to watch with the family around. But it's fantastic. The story's great. And I obviously, I work for a big corporate company in the UK. And it's interesting just watching some of the corporate stuff in here and there's some good stuff in there some bad stuff in there but it's just such a good film film tv show i am really enjoying i love the theme music when it kicks in and i think we've got another season coming out this year so i thought i would binge the first three seasons so i can watch season four when it lands yeah it's one that's on my to watch list and i know brian cox isn't it it's funny i said last week i'd start watching sharp again the sean bean sharp shows and brian cox is in the first two of those as well not a fairly as a fairly important character but not with the biggest role in the world and he's always very watchable I did not know he was in there. Yeah, yeah. For one of the first people you see on screen, actually, other than Sean Bean. Hmm. There you go. You learn something every day. But no, it's a fantastic ensemble cast. I think it's yeah, really watchable. Some really great characters in there. And it's interesting seeing Kieran Culkin in there. So Macaulay Culkin's brother. And I did not realise that he played Fuller in the TV show in the in the film Home Alone. You know, the kid that drinks all the Pepsi or the Coke in the film and wets the bed. That's actually Macaulay Culkin's brother in real life. So that was quite interesting. So Kieran Culkin, I think I'm right in saying, is also in Scott Pilgrim. Yes. And he is terrific in that. Now, I love that film anyway, because it's Edgar Wright, and Edgar Wright almost immediately gets a seal of approval from me for everything that he does. And that's a particularly good film, and Kieran Culkin almost steals the show, I'd say, in that. Yeah, he is very good. And he play, he's plays a character with some serious issues in the, in succession. So he's, a good, he's a really good actor. Fair enough. You've got Star Wars on your list of media as well, I see. 
just finished Empire Strikes Back with my nine-year-old son. Fantastic. He really enjoyed it. And then we went straight on to start the Return of the Jedi. Nice. Some gory bits, though. I'd forgotten. I say gory, but there's like a bit at the start of Return of the Jedi with a big, very dodgy-looking monster now underneath Jabba the Hutt's sort of seat. And it just went on for quite a while, but he seemed right with it. But it, I'd forgotten about half of Return of the Jedi, I think. Yeah, the rancor is a bit gory, I guess. And there's some bone snapping and stuff like that as well, isn't there? But I think we said before, looking back at sort of 80s, 90s films now, 80s ones more particularly, there's far more swearing, sex and violence than you remember. Even for Star Wars. But um, no, it was good. So we've only watched a bit of The Return of the Jedi. We watched sort of the opener bit, as it were, where they rescue everybody. Fantastic. Love it. And then I was having the debate with him when we were just going to bed after we watched the first bit. And I said, what should we watch after this one? Do we go and watch one, two and three? Or, or do we watch seven, eight, and nine? And so it's an interesting debate. And he goes, no, I want to watch one, two, and three. So he, he seems to want to watch them in the order that they were filmed. So I'll, I'll get behind that. Fair enough. And don't forget, number eight is directed by the same guy that's done a Glass Onion and Knives Out. Yeah. Ryan Johnson, I'm going to say. Yeah. And number eight also didn't land that well. I quite liked it. On a rewatch, I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. It subverts a lot of expectations. And it's funny them watching them walk back some of the stuff they did in the last one. But I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I probably need to go back, rewatch it, because I think I saw it once at the cinema. And thought, oh. But sometimes when you do watch it a second time, you can appreciate it more. We're, well, we're endangering going in a rabbit hole. It's got the second best lightsaber fight in Star Wars, that film. Interesting. Yeah, the one in Snoke's throne room is fantastic. And so stylish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've done a lot with the lightsabers in the last three, I think. You know, was it the episode seven i can't count now because all the numbers are out episode seven where he had the the lightsaber that had looked like a cross and it was you know quite rough yeah. and it wasn't just perfect and, and i actually quite liked all that I, I do think episode seven is fantastic i think my son will really enjoy that yeah it is a remake of four but you can live with it it is a remake of four but it's it is cool especially when you've got this you know the guy who takes off the stormtrooper's helmet and stuff like just stuff you don't normally see. That's a good reboot. No, fair enough. Anyway, moving on. I've got one as well. I started a new Netflix series last night, actually. So I've only watched one of them so far, but I'm super encouraged. It's called Extraordinary Attorney Woo. It's a South Korean thing, which is featuring an autistic lawyer, attorney, as they say. I, I, I 90% like it and 10% have a reservation. It's very well done. I think the portrayal of somebody autistic uh, and some of the sort of features and ticks and, and, and where they are on that particular spectrum is extremely well done. They sort of verge into autistic people have superpowers thing in sort of the Rain Man way, you know, drops 30 things on the floor and counts it instantly, that kind of thing. But I'm actually thoroughly enjoying the portrayal, and it's a very sweet story with some sort of quite well done sort of effects and things like that. I'm a little more, a little more interested in Korean TV shows since I got Squid Game, so this this appeared in my Netflix queue, and I thought I'll have a look at that. I and mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the very first one of Extraordinary Attorney. Don't make me add more things to my list. I haven't caught up on any of last week's yet. <laughs> no, it's up to you whether you want to watch it or not. I'm just saying that, it, that it's... And what I should be doing is Slow Horses, of course, but I'm still waiting for that. I don't know. Is that all complete now? Are they all out? Yeah, we're done. We're done at the end of last year, I think, just before... Okay. Yeah, just before New Year's it finished. It's fantastic. Okay, I better get on and binge that, but it might have to wait till after, after this now. So good. I've never seen Squid Game, by the way, as a surprise to nobody. Oh, well, yeah, you don't get a lot of time. It's a TV show, though. I know it's a film you like. You prefer a film than a TV show, so, yeah. I do like a film. I don't know why. I can't explain it. I do like a film. Fair enough. And speaking of another TV show that's just come out, and this is just sort of a nice merger of our gaming and, and film watching and TV watching worlds, 
is the Last of Us TV series. I think premieres in America tonight or tomorrow. It might be tonight on HBO. And it's called The Last of Us. And it's based on a PlayStation game by Naughty Dog. And I think we've talked about it briefly on this podcast before by the same studio that did Uncharted. It's had stellar reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it was 100%. Everybody liked it at this point. So it might be a one to watch out for. Yeah, I probably need to go on and finish the computer game, don't I? Probably. It might not matter that much. Yeah, true. I'll probably get the idea. So I am enjoying the computer game. I haven't played it as much as I'd like. But yeah, another one for the list, I guess, when that when that lands over here. The thing that's interesting is for those listeners that watch Game of Thrones is the actress that played Lady Mormont at the end, a little girl who played Lady Mormont at the end, actually features as Ellie in this as well. So she was a terrific actress in that, and I'm glad that she's hopefully gotten her big break alongside Pedro Pascal, who people may know from The Mandalorian and others. Is The Mandalorian a children's show? Yes. Perfect, because I was talking to my son about it. And I said, oh, "That's a you know TV show, The Mandalorian." And he goes, "Oh, he knew it had Baby Yoda in it, where he's been playing this Lego Star Wars game." And I said, "I need to check what the age rating is on it, and if it's if it's okay, we can put that on after we've done Star Wars." Yeah, it's a bit gribbly in places for some of the beasties in it, but it's it's a terrific show. I thought if you like the Boba Fett character, I think they do a lot with Mandalorians. Yeah, and obviously Boba Fett's in Empire Strikes Back, and we were we were talking about him quite a bit. So, and he knew all the story stuff where he played the Lego Star Wars game. He really understood all the characters. That's probably actually helped him because he's only nine, just get his head around the whole universe. So Boba Fett gets his own show too. You know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's two seasons of The Mandalorian, and then there's the Boba Fett show, and then we're getting the third season of The Mandalorian. So. Wow, okay. They've made a lot more TV than I give them credit for. They've made a lot more TV. And not all of it's as good as Andor. I'm just putting that out there. I'm going to get back on with Andor now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make time for that. Moving on, we're at 55 minutes and we've only just got to games. We're going to have a very short main show at this rate. I've got no games to, because I've been away, so it's all to you this week. Well, it's not all to me, because the first thing that I noticed this week was they're making a Gran Turismo movie with Orlando Bloom. And I wonder what you thought, you thought of that. Does it have to be Orlando Bloom? You don't like Orlando Bloom? I'm a bit mixed, if I'm honest. I've not seen anything for years, but it wouldn't be my first choice. But hey-ho, I haven't seen any of it, so I shouldn't really comment. I'd be interested in this. I'm, I'm a bit mixed on car movies, I don't know about you. It's hard to do a really good car movie. So I used to enjoy a bit of Fast and Furious. I think I enjoyed the first one, and then I think they got a bit carried away. I'm trying to think of other good car movies. There's obviously Baby Driver, which is fantastic, and again, it's Edgar Wright, who we discussed. Obviously, The Italian Job, fantastic. Any other good car movies? I'm struggling now. Ronan. Yeah, Ronin is a bit of a car movie, to be fair. I'll give you that. And I guess you've got things like Rush, you know, a bit of Formula One there. Days of Thunder with Tom Cruise, obviously. Oh, well, I'd have said Le Mans 66 or a Ford versus Ferrari is probably one a of Ford the Ford versus Ferrari is fantastic. Yeah, that is a good film. Rush is a very good film as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nicky Loud is well portrayed. But yeah. I just thought this was interesting, considering how much Gran Turismo you've been playing, that it wouldn't be the first franchise I'd have thought would make a natural movie. I'm amazed they haven't done one before. If I'm honest, like Genu- car racing. I mean, it's just—is it going to be just cars racing? I mean, I don't know. I think it's the story of somebody who, because there was a, an initiative in the Gran Turismo world before, if you were a good driver, and they still do that to this day. You could sort of progress till you become an actual racing driver. They sort of held local heats and then national heats and then international heats and then eventually, you, you know, a few people have become proper racing drivers. And they're featured in GT7, I think. Some of the voices and the people you talk to are, are people that have won that before. But the interesting thing is this is directed by Neil Blomkamp, Blomkamp, who also did District 9, who's a terrific director, did a lot of very interesting things. So at least he's got a chance of doing something vaguely interesting with it. Yeah, well, maybe it's going to be all right. Maybe this will be interesting then if it's the guy from District 9. So I'm, I'm interested to see it. 
I love Gran Turismo. I hope it doesn't. I hope it's not bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Which ruin the franchise. So sticking with Sony, and we t- I got the wrong end of the stick last week when we talked about this, that as well as being a pro controller for the PlayStation, there is actually a one for people with disabilities as well. So I've popped in the Yeah, sh- they're doing both ends. They're doing the, the pro market and, and the more accessible controller. So I've just popped in the show notes the more accessible controller, which looks very different from the usual DualShock styling for the way you can program the buttons and the way that it works. I'm not sure how much better it's going to be for people with particular disabilities, but at least they're trying. And apparently this is the really good bit. It contains all the same haptics and things that the current ver- evolution of the DualSense does too. So, well done, Sony. It took them a while, but they seem to be getting there. I think this product looks great. You know, it's in all the same styling. You know, it doesn't. It, it's been well designed. You know, it's got the same aesthetic. I have no idea what's good and bad though for somebody that needs a device like this. So I'm hoping they've done all the right research and that. But it looks cool. I think it looks really good. Yep, I'm with you. I also haven't done an awful lot of gaming this week, I must admit. I haven't really had that much of a chance back to work and back to the grindstone and all that stuff kind of gets in the way of everything else. So I just got one piece of feedback that I'll, I'll feature again later in the in my app of the week, and that's the Steam in-home streaming app for iPad. I'll talk about it more there, but I've, I'll just, for now, I'll say I've, I've played with that a little bit. And then the second one was more of an observation than something I've played. And this was... There's a GitHub link in the show notes under under the game section for a game called Duelist, which is like a card game. And you know everybody knows I like a card game by this point. But this was a commercial game that was out on Steam and a few other app stores as well a few years ago. It was quite well received, it went very well, and then it was released in 2016 and then kind of vanished. And what the devs have done is they've just bunged all the source code on GitHub. So you're free to build it and, and play it as you wish. And it's a full commercial game, including all the icon packs, including all the arts, every, you know, music, everything is actually accessible and downloadable on GitHub. So I would have thought anybody who's interested in seeing how games come together and what goes into them would be interested in this. But you can build it yourself, which in itself could be something you could learn a little bit about how you build software. But you actually get a AAA game as a consequence of, of playing around with this at the end of it. So I just thought it's amazing that the developers have done the right thing and put it out there. Yeah, it's that whole mothballing thing, isn't it? Doing it in the right way, I think. So I hadn't seen this. I, I would love to go and chew through source code for a game I've played a lot of, if you know what I mean, just to see how does it actually come together? You know, like the, how does the menu room work? How do the characters move or the cards in this case? And all of that. Yeah, maybe I should go and take a look at this one. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And, and in the absence of being able to report back on any games, other than Call of Duty, that it's, I think it's probably worth mentioning. Fair enough. Yeah, disappointing for your game effort on both sides this week then. Yep, there we go. Anyway, moving on. Main show. I thought this would be an opportunity for us to sort of reflect on a year of podcasting as much as anything else. And I don't know if we've got anything particularly profound to say other than I've thoroughly enjoyed doing it, Chris. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think we're both in the same place here in that I think we've both enjoyed doing the podcast has been a struggle to fill it in sometimes with just various family and work commitments i think but i think we both enjoyed it because it made us go away and look at a few things whether it's a bit of media some games reading more articles rather than just skimming them and it's been good to catch up i think each week and just a talk to you i text you frequently before we did this but now it's nice that we actually have a conversation and we record it so i've really enjoyed all of that i think i think it's been really good and i'm amazed we've managed to stick to it like you say even with the 52 weeks a year doing it and fitting around our work and and we have very different work lives and probably home lives your children quite a bit older than mine yours are you know at college and university mine are at primary school and so our lives are just a little bit different i work for a big corporate you work for a university doing research so it's been quite interesting doing it i think and also bringing our two views of the world to the forums i've i have enjoyed it and i'm glad we've done it 
I, I am too, and I, I kind of want to continue for at least a little bit longer, you know, not just because we've paid for the website for another year now and all the domains and all the rest of it, but I, I do find it valuable. We'd have those WWDCs every, you know, and, and you know, the Januaries when it used to be back in the day and talk about all this stuff in a slightly abbreviated way, but, you know, by text, thinking about this, getting that, what do you think of this product, you know, what do you think of this release, et cetera, et cetera, have you tried that? And to formalize it like this has just been, it's been quite therapeutic, if nothing else. It's nice to, you know, it's nice to talk about tech. It's nice to talk about Apple, the things that are bothering us, little, little issues that we have in a sort of fairly open format. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's quite interesting because we both come at it slightly differently. Like I come at it from a very much an iPad world and corporate world. You're very much coming at it from the Mac and obviously the research space. But we both have the the Apple Watch Ultra, but that's probably the only bit of Apple hardware where we really overlap on with an OS. Oh, I guess we both got the AirPods, but hasn't everybody got AirPods these days? But, but do you know what I mean? That we've both got very different hardware outside of, of the watch, if that makes sense. Like I, I live on my iPad all the time. You probably just use yours very infrequently. Like I would use my Mac, for example. So it's, I think, interesting how we do that. And we, both of us probably support our family and our friends with various Apple purchases, whether it's set up iPhones and what have you. So I think it has been interesting to bring it together and formalize it and yeah, it's better. and some things I don't text you about now because I'll save it for the show when we meet. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, equally, recommendations you've made, I now go out into the world and do too. So three weeks ago, I had a friend who was complaining about their Wi-Fi, you know, it wasn't working, a plan, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't say go and buy my ridiculous Unify setup. I said, you should get an Eero. Brilliant, fantastic. And I, I've got two more people onto Eero as well. So I'm pleased we're not affiliated to Amazon in any way, shape or form, but I do think the Eero stuff for your average user is brilliant so and i've got a new internet coming this week so i'm switching provider here in the uk and hopefully it should be seamless but i'm going to report back on how that goes because i've got no intention of plugging their router in and hopefully i can just do it all on my aero so yeah i'll report back when we get there that's very interesting i think i said at the time that when my fiber from from bt came I plugged it straight into my Unify device and it worked seamlessly. You know, I plugged it in, it was like nothing had changed from the Virgin Media I had before, but the phone line wouldn't work because BT didn't support VoIP properly, in, in, into the, which would have been easy. I could potentially have bought a Unify phone system then as well, and I'd have been you know, ubiquity, I should say, not Unify. But no, you have to plug the BT phone into the router, so I ended up being double natted. You should be in a much simpler position than me. What are you going to do with the phone, or do you even have a phone? We don't have a phone. Hmm. We never bothered plugging it in 10 years ago when we moved in. And that was controversial with our family at the time. And we said, look, don't worry about it. Just, you know, phone our mobiles, hang up, and we'll call you straight back. And that's what we've done. And now obviously everybody's got mobiles and unlimited minutes, so it's less of a thing 10 years later. But we just never bothered with it. So we're not going to miss the landline one iota. So we never plugged it in with our BT provider. We're moving to EE on Monday, which weirdly they're all owned by the same people. But for some reason, EE's significantly cheaper per month so it was a no-brainer to do it and if you buy e for your broadband in the uk not only do i save 20 pounds on my broadband bill but you also get 20 gig of data on your mobile phone that's linked to the account so it seemed like a win-win to me so i'll report back on how it is it looks great no fair enough i'll be interested to see how it goes you do like e it must be said your 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 watches with the e as well i think isn't it Yep, I'm, I'm fully, my watch, my phone, my house will be on E, which will be good or bad, I don't know. I am also a big believer in though, your partner should be on something separate to you. So when you are out and about, if one of you has trouble and you need to make a call, text the children, that hopefully one of you can do it. So we do separate. Single point of failure. Yeah, quite. But no, I think highlight definitely is that. And I also thought, what was my highlight on equipment this year? And I'm going to controversially say the steward display 
because I've wanted an Apple screen for a long time and I've never been able to afford one. And then they stopped making them for a number of years. And this year was the year I finally bought one. And I really like it. It's a lovely screen. I use it every day I'm in my shed. It's 27 inch. The camera is rubbish, but I don't really use the camera. The speakers are awesome. The panel's awesome. So that was probably my product of the year because the iPads didn't really do anything for me. I haven't bought any Macs this year and I prefer the screen. I'd rather have had the screen probably than the Apple Watch Ultra, even though I wear the Apple Watch Ultra every day. The screen was just the big game changer for me because it was really nice to have a quality screen. Fair enough. I mean, for for me, looking back at the year, I'd echo already what we've said about doing the podcast. I think it's been it's been a very worthwhile experience for me. Product wise, this probably won't surprise anyone. Is my AirPods Pro two? I'm very glad I bought them. With my slight niggling worry about their battery, I think the quality and sound improvement for them is is just been worth it for that. And it is the Apple product I probably use more, with the exception of my phone. But you know, I'm used to my phone. It's two years old at this stage. It's the product I use more than anything. I have them in my ears when I walk the dog. I like the convenience of being able to pluck one out and it stops and I can talk to whoever I uh, come to. Just walking to work, be it five minutes or, or three hours, I know I've got the battery for them when I set out and about and I can charge them up again very quickly and get them going. And they cut traffic noise and all the other bits and pieces, airline, train noise, as well as anything. So I have been utterly delighted with them. It's been a solid improvement for a product I like before. I'm a little worried the right one's beginning to squeak slightly in my ear, which the last one's rattled. So I need to keep an eye on that. I don't know if I've got squeaky ears or it's a squeaky ear pod. So I need to keep an eye on that. Maybe you need a different tip on the end of it or something. Maybe as your ears get bigger as you get older, <laughs> you need to adjust the tips. I've already got the biggest ones in there. What am I going to need? Do you know? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit of a worry. Maybe I've just gone too big and it's actually forcing my ear canal wider. Do you know what I think the best thing they did with the AirPods too is let you brand the case so that you know whether it's yours or your partner's or if you're in the office, you know, whether you've picked up your boss's AirPods by mistake. Yeah, that's a little bit of whimsy. And we've, we've reflected on whimsy a little bit on this podcast that when you brand your case, it shows up in the app when you pair them, that it, it will show when the, what you're pairing with, the, the inlaid thing. And I hadn't realized this. They've retrofitted AirTags as well. So the four AirTags I bought have all got a little, an emoji on them or a word. So like they're on my daughter's keys for our mini. So that AirTag has mini written on it. If you pair an AirPad, an AirTag that is branded, they pitch, they show up as having them, the brand on them as well, which I just thought was really cool. Uh, that is quite cool. They've done that whole customization piece. I was just looking at my AirPods, actually, and I wondered, why haven't they put the Apple logo on the case? You'd have thought it'd be on part of it. You'd have thought, but I think everybody knows what they I think they did, but now obviously there's lots of other competitors out there that have similar sort of smooth-shaped boxes to put them in. I don't know. It's just something that just dawned on me now. I wonder what debates they have internally of whether they should put an Apple logo on something or not. Like with the new IMAX, there's no Apple logo on the on the chin on the front of the device. I wonder whether that was a debate or not. Yeah, the whole branding thing is interesting. As I, I look at the other bit of hardware I've really enjoyed this year, which is my M1 MacBook Pro. And it's obviously got an Apple logo on, on the screen, not a light-up one anymore, unfortunately. I did like my light-up Apple logo, and I, know, I appreciate these days they're too thin to do that. But it's got the embossed or the indented MacBook Pro on the bottom of it, which nobody ever really looks at the bottom of the thing. But that's just a really classy addition to the product. I really like the indentation. Yeah, I can see that. It does look kind of cool. I was in John Lewis the other day. I wanted to have a look at one, and I was going to lift it up, but they glue them to the table somehow. So you, you can't even lift them up to to try the weight out because I was there and they had the the air in the pro. And I thought, oh, I'll just lift them up to compare the weight. I, I know you can read the numbers, but it's nice just to try it in, in, in person. But I couldn't even see it, yeah, because they're, they're glued to the table or bolted to the table somehow. 
Yeah, it's a lovely it's a lovely thing. The screen is beautiful, but I'm kind of used to my Macs now. And the the original M1 MacBook Pro that I had the 13 inch one convinced me on the chips and how good the Apple Silicon transition was. But and this one has a beautiful screen and the battery life is amazing. And it's just, but I almost expect it at this point. Whereas I was delighted by the AirPods Pro too. I think. No, I can see that. I did see um, M1 MacBook Pro in the office the other day. And just across the table, it's a fantastic looking piece of kit, like the, the black keyboard tray. And just, it looks fantastic, really well made. It does look a little chunky though. That was anything that, you know, when you look at it from the side, it, it does look like it's it's put on a few pounds. Well, it has, but we've got an HDMI socket now. It's not just that, you've got everything, haven't you? It is the right choice for a pro machine, 100% should be a bit chunky and do a load more. They've made all the right decisions. Yeah, no argument. So there we go. That's our best of the year. But when it comes to worst of the year, what's been yours? We should have done this the other way around because it'd be a shame to leave the show on the worst of the year. But I think for me, the bit I've just struggled with is just trying to fit in another commitment in my life. I've got family, I've got a busy job, and I think just trying to fill it all in. I enjoy it. I do generally enjoy it, but it's just something else to fit in to prepare for. And I probably need to get better at just saving some links as we go in the week so that when we come to do it, I'm more ready. So that's just probably more of me of more organized i guess with work with family but just yeah fits me out in has been challenging but i think equally rewarding yeah i think that's fair i mean i've managed to get a workflow where when i see a link that i like the look of i automatically share it to obsidian and then i i edit them out later on and we didn't talk about this at the top of the show we've been trying to run this this particular episode in the new apple and notes app which is called freeform I had to look it up there because I'd forgotten. It's really, it's really made an impression on me. So far, so good. I don't know. We tend to, we normally run it in pages. It doesn't feel like it's quite as immediate to me as when we make changes in pages that I can see what you're doing here. But yeah, it, it, having a workflow for, for what you do for the show is quite important. I know when I come to edit it, I've got my workflow quite down. But the process of recording it, which we should, maybe should talk about some sometime for me coughing or the bings and bongs that occasionally make it into the edit or people bursting into the room or dogs barking outside or your kids walking down the, towards the shed or your crocs in the snow or whatever it might be that sort of gets us to the place where we can record it. It's obviously a little bit more than we had to do, you know, a year ago at this time. So, you know, it's a bit of a change. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, I, we had to buy microphones and arms and I can't remember what these guards are called that you put in front of it. Pop filter. A pop filter. And I've got some sound, iso, you know, foam stuff in the ceiling because I'm in a wooden box and just all those little things we had to do in the background, which I don't, you know, we haven't got professional seller by any stretch, but it was just little tweaks that didn't cost the earth, but just hopefully made an improvement. Yeah. I, I, if nothing else, I mean, I sound terrific on Zoom these days. <laughs> yeah well you probably use yours for zoom i do not use mine when i'm on my my meetings i just use my airpods as normal <laughs> no i think it's fair enough we talked last week about going to very professional microphone setups and i, st- I still maintain we don't need to get much better than, unless a listener emails in and tells us otherwise i don't think we need to get much better than this frankly no i i listen on overcast and i know overcast does do some voice boosting and things it sounds pretty good in overcast i think to be fair yeah, I've tried it in the odd podcast client, and it does sound all right. I better tell you what I think is my sort of worst thing of the year. And for me, it's been the Twitter purchase. It, the, Elon took a service that I, I wouldn't say I enjoyed, but I sort of looked for. It was it was part of my social media hit or my news hit when the day went on to see what was happening in the world, if there were local events, if something was happening nearby or far away. Twitter would be the place to jump in and look for it. And I don't even open the app anymore. And I think that's affected my professional use of Twitter as well, which I've talked about on this podcast. But Twitter served quite an important purpose for me as an academic in, you know, 
when you're at a conference attending to see what was happening, to see what lectures were at, what research was interesting, all the rest of it. Just that part of it. And then what I do in the day job, how we'd publicize that to other people in, in our sort of space. It served that and I've got no interest anymore. It's completely cost me that sort of interest in it. So, and then his continual destruction, as we've just been talking about in this podcast, has just been an amazing thing to behold. That Every week, something new and awful has happened. And you think, I don't think I've ever seen anyone run $44 billion into the ground with quite such efficiency as Elon has managed to do. Yeah, he's got a skill there, hasn't he? And I, I kind of agree with you. Whilst I was not really a social media poster, I use Twitter a lot for my newsfeed. I don't even open it now. I've given up. I enjoyed it because it was my way of learning more about some of the podcast people that I'd listen to every every week or Formula One or news. And I've just given up on it. And Mastodon, for me, hasn't really stuck yet. I, I think I've just weaned myself off it, if I'm honest. And I wasn't a big social media person. I don't do really any meta products. So it's just something else I don't go to. But it is a bit of a shame because I did enjoy it. I did like just seeing a little bit from the people that I listen to or follow or I'm interested in. And now I don't get any of that. So I think it is a shame. And it, I don't think Twitter was as broken as what it is now. It, it wasn't functioning right. We knew this, but it was fixable, I think. And it just needed a few tweaks to the dial, maybe cut some overheads, sort out the revenue you know, model, and it would have been all right. So it's a shame that they've now run it in the ground. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, when you see like a van on the road and it's got, you know, follow us on Facebook or Twitter and that. And I wonder actually, will the Twitter logo start to fall away now and it would just be Facebook and Instagram? Well, it's more than that though, isn't it? If you think of every serious news organisation in the world and often the journalists that worked for them, certainly ITV and BBC News, the journalists there would, would sign off with their Twitter handles or that you would follow me on Twitter or for updates here, there and everywhere. That's it. At the moment, I think that's going to go to. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it will just start disappearing. But it is interesting. This is the problem. I think when one company owns a major platform, it, it shows how unhealthy it is. Yeah. The Oatmeal, who is a cartoonist, did a, a good thing about Facebook a few years ago about moving away from the open web, which you control, to actually putting it inside of another company's control, which does echo some of the things Apple does with the App Store frankly, you know, the, the way people put their commitments into App Store and the Play Store and, and how things move from there and how dangerous that was in the long term. And I've said before on this podcast, it's it's about the cost of getting out of a thing more than the cost of getting into a thing. The entry costs are very are generally pretty cheap. The first hit is always free, right? So it, it, it's that getting out of it thing that you really need to think about. And people are beginning, people that have been bitten, particularly large organizations that have been bitten by Twitter at this point, are going to think really long and hard about the next thing that comes along and what they do that. Email is an open standard and has remained the way it has for such a long time because it's an open standard. And I see criticism of Mastodon addresses, in, well, but you've got to go at user, at instance. Well, that's the same as email, really, isn't it? And I think we may just end yeah, up... I don't think that's and, a big deal. No, I don't either. It, it's, it's pretty minor. I don't think it'll have the traction that Twitter does. I think people have been bitten at this point. And... Mastodon should stay the way it is as far as I'm concerned. It's it's quite a cosy little community at the moment. I don't think they need the massive influx of Twitter users to it. There'll be something else will come along and, and scratch that itch for people. No, I'd agree with that. I think it's got to it's got to remain independent of a big organization as we talked about with their denial of funding recently. So no, I'd, I'd agree with that, I think. And it's been interesting listening to some podcasts. They've actually gone back to having a web form rather than using Twitter for, for feedback and questions. And I was thinking, eh, actually, they've now taken back control. 
which yeah. is quite interesting. Which is a good thing. So here's a question to finish the podcast off on for this week. Well, other than the app of the week and our, our usual ending salutation or goodbye. When you listen to other podcasts now, do you have a more critical ear than you did? No, maybe a little bit, but I think most of the ones I listen to, they've done it for so long. The quality of the recording, the, the quality of what they do, I think I appreciate. I think I probably appreciate more the time they do before the show starts, if that makes sense, in the prep. I just assume they just turned up and recorded. Whereas actually doing it with you, I can say actually they probably spent some time getting some links and show notes and finding something interesting, reading some articles, and then coming to the, the show. Whereas I probably didn't appreciate that before. Yeah, I think that's true. There is a certain amount of prep that has to be done. And the amount of prep you do doesn't always reflect the quality of the podcast, but it definitely helps what's going on. I am a bit jealous. Shout out to our listeners, those that get a lot of feedback, because it quite often generates interesting things for them to talk about in some way, shape, manner, or form. I say that a lot as well. I know it's when I listen to myself back, I say in some way, shape, manner, or form a lot. But those sort of user-generated stories can add an awful lot to a podcast, I think, that you are sort of responding to your user base and not doing just what you think is interesting, but what's sort of more globally interesting. So that makes me think. I often sometimes listen to them and think, we covered that story better, (laughs) you know, you and I. Sometimes I don't disagree, and sometimes I I listen to them and think, oh, they had some really good points. Why didn't we say that? It was interesting listening to one about the monitors that we spoke about. So actually, they hit most of the points we did, you know, and they they recorded those after us. So I don't know, I find it quite interesting to hear, yeah, that somebody else's take on something we've discussed. And it's sometimes quite interesting listening to people not in the US talking about something because sometimes there are some nuances. But no, I think I do appreciate, yeah, the, the prep they do. I think they've got a great appreciation for that. But most of them sound really good generally that I listen to. I guess on some interview shows, I have noticed probably more when people don't sound very good at all because maybe they're just on their AirPods or on their laptop mic. And so like, oh, you can really tell when they haven't got a dedicated microphone. Mm. Yeah, it makes such a, it's a small thing, but it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Good. Okay. Well, we will persist and we'll do certainly another few shows, I think, is the moral of the story. And we're still enjoying it and we learn and we move on. Yep. Let's carry on. So carrying on, I have an app of the week this week. It's a fairly obvious one, considering what I've already talked about, and it's on the link below. It's the Steam Home Streaming app. The way this works is it relies on you having a Mac, PC, or Linux machine somewhere in the house on. You can install this on your iPad. My iPad is an iPad Pro M1. That doesn't really matter. You pair some sort of controller to it. You can do it with a touchscreen, but I wouldn't recommend it. So I've paired a PS4 DualSense controller to it, and got it up and running on the PC this morning, and actually, not this morning, the day before yesterday, and can play almost everything extremely fast response rate in the house. It's interesting. It runs a little test on your home network. tells you how fast it's able to do it at, what resolutions it supports. It does natively try and support the resolution of the screen that the machine is running on. So in that case, my, I think it's 3840 by 1440 monitor mirrored on my iPad, playing Midnight Suns on it. Worked really well. Very responsive. Just as fast, I'd say, as sitting in front of the computer. I don't think I want to play Call of Duty on it, particularly for lots of reasons. I don't like Call of Duty with the controller massively anyway. But yeah, I'm really quite impressed with how responsive, quick, easy it was to set up. It was literally fire up Steam on the machine, download the app, enter a pin code into the iPad to, to get it up and running, and then it was off to the races. And I had Steam Big Picture mode running on my iPad. Very impressed. And you got to be on the same Wi-Fi network. You got to be on the same, same LAN, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Maybe maybe something I should try out with my shed. I think it would work quite well for you. What screen have you got attached to your Mac Mini? The LG Ultra Fine 21 inch. So it's not massive. So the resolution would probably be pretty good on my iPad. So it's going to look quite good. I suspect if you plugged in, well, you could use your, your Folio Magic trackpad keyboard case thing 
your almost 400 quid case thing with its mouse and be able to play Red Alert on there. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, but I don't think I want to be able to play games down here in my shed. I think part of the reason I have the shed is not to play games because I'd be easily sidetracked. Oh, well, you know, it's always nice to have that option, I think. I mean, it, the iPad supports some good games, but it is quite nice when you want those sort of big things that are on your mind a little bit you want to have a go at, that you have the facility to do that on your iPad. And the Steam Link thing works really well i gotta say i've tried i used to have steam's dedicated hardware box for this so i could play civilization 6 on various tvs around the place and that works really well too but this is just since that product went away and it was a really cheap product it was 15 quid i think raspberry pi supports it now you've got a raspberry pi kicking around or anything you can do in-home streaming but the fact is i've got a really good screen on my ipad i've got quite a good controller on the ps4 one why not try and marry those things up and it just worked it was great yeah and it's quite a cool bit of tech to play with isn't it it really is. It really is. Should we call it a show? I think we can call it a show. So if anyone wants to get in contact, you can email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out on Twitter. We are still WFS underscore podcast or contact either Rod or I at Mastodon and our names are in the show notes. Look forward to hearing from anybody. Cheers, Rod. Happy year, Chris. Here's to another one. Yeah, happy year, Rod. See you later. Cheers. Cheers.